Good morning and welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten. Recently, I was asked to, uh, by the Ottawa Jewish Bulletin, the preeminent Jewish newspaper in the city of Ottawa, Canada, to review a book entitled Why Be Jewish? A Testament by Edgar M. Bronfman. Many of you will, of course, know the name Bronfman. Bronfman was, of course, the longtime CEO of Seagram Company. He also served for over 20 years as president of the World Jewish Congress and was the founding chairman of the Board of Governors of Hillel, the foundation for Jewish campus life. Through the Samuel Bronfman Foundation, his father, Samuel Bronfman, the founder of Seagram's, he nurtured initiatives to cultivate Jewish learning. He received from the President of the United States the Presidential Medal of Freedom in 1999, and I believe he was a member of the Order of Canada. So I wrote that book review, which will be published shortly in the Ottawa Jewish Bulletin, but I thought this morning that I would use his book as a possibility of introducing you to a particular concept called tzedakah. And of course, we will allow our time together to serve as a basis for expanding on the notion of tzedakah. Now, in Bronfman's book entitled Why Be Jewish, he offers a compelling invitation for younger generations and Jews of all ages to take another look at Judaism irrespective of the religious aspects of the tradition. Bronfman describes a substantive and meaningful Jewish identification that does not require a belief in a supreme being to be transformative. On a Peshat level, in Hebrew, Peshat means simple, the book strongly advocates for a Judaism that can be beyond belief, not requiring a belief in God, and yet compelling in its meaning and moral mandates. Edgar Bronfman also implicitly droshes or comments on a book of the same title by the preeminent 20th century American sociologist of religion, Robert Bella. He wrote in a book entitled Beyond Belief, published in 1970, And his seminal article in that collection is Civil Religion in America. Bella understood that there could be an embrace of common American civil religion with shared sacred text, rituals, holidays, and values independent of a person's chosen religious or religion of birth. Bromfen picks up on this theme of a kind of civil or secular religious approach to Judaism emphasizing those shared aspects enumerated above as a means of creating a Judaism and Jewish community that can be transcended and unifying, irrespective of your particular 
belief in God. Now, I want to read to you one note that is written in the um, introduction to this book, Why Be Judas? In the most significant ways I'm quoting, Bromfen embodied the central message of his book. To keep Judaism alive, not just through words and belief, but through action. Through action. And it's through action that I want to discuss one of the central tenets of Jewish existence. In Hebrew, we call it tzedakah. The Hebrew term has both the meaning of righteousness and charity. And it may very well be the central enterprise of Jewish life in the 21st century. When we want to understand tzedakah, we have to turn to the Torah, as we always do. We turn to the Torah about any topic we want to discuss on this show. Torah, which literally means revelation, bears a range of meanings expanded from age to age. In this sense, Torah is an open-ended book and includes you and me. Those of us who lived before and those of us who live now. In this sense, the principal source of revelation is, of course, the Torah, the five books of prophet, the Nivigim, the books of the prophets, and Ketuvim, the sacred writings, and together they constitute Tanakh, the canonical Hebrew scriptures, and this is the collection which Christians call the Old Testament, and is called by the rabbis of antiquity the written Torah. Torah Shebichtav. These same rabbis refer to a literature that emanated from their own movement as oral Torah, Torah Sheba'al Peh. The oral Torah includes the Mishnah, produced about 200 CE, and two Talmuds, one for the land of Israel and another for Babylonia, each built upon the Mishnah in the next several centuries taken together, biblical written Torah and rabbinic oral law form what the sages of Judaism call the whole Torah, one integral living body of revelation that the rabbis attributed to Moses from that time forward. As the great minds continue to explore and explain, each generation's work is also received as Torah. For Judaism, as, as for any historic religious tradition, you cannot make up things as you go along or say what sounds right or feels good, calling it Judaism. True, you are right for yourself in whatever you say, but to speak to someone else in the framework of Judaism, you may speak in a common language. The, common, the conversation is three-sided. You, the other person, and the great body of law and theology called Torah. Now, to begin our discussion of Torah and Sadaka, I want to concentrate 
on a passage of theology which is general and immediate. The passage I'm going to share with you tells the story of a king who ruled part of Mesopotamia, which would be present-day Iraq, in the first century of the Common Era. According to Jewish tradition, he is supposed to have converted to Judaism, and tales of things he did fills the pages of Talmudic literature as models of tzedakah, righteousness and justice. This particular story that I'm about to share with you is important for two reasons. It shows us the fundamental value placed upon tzedakah by the rabbis who repeated the tale and by the Jews who from then to now shaped their lives in particular around the values expressed in it. And it shows how when Jews read each biblical verse on righteousness as a statement on charity, as the word tzedakah requires us to do so, we find quite striking teachers about tzedakah. This story from Mesopotamia appears in the Tosefta, which means supplement. And the Tosefta supplements the Mishnah, So let me share with you this imaginary conversation, which is the Tosefta's complement to a passage of the Mishnah on gifts to the poor. I hope you'll listen carefully to the story. Manobes, king of Adibene, dispensed his treasures during the years of famine. When his brothers heard, they sent him the following message. Your ancestors stored up treasures and increased the wealth they inherited. But you went and gave to the poor all of the royal treasures, both your own and those of your ancestors. Manobes replied, my ancestors stored up treasures for this world below, but I have stored up treasures for the world above. As it is stated in Torah, faithfulness will spring up from the ground below and righteousness will look down from the sky. My ancestors stored up treasures where the hand of thieves can reach, but I have stored up treasures where no thieves' hand can reach. As it is stated, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. My ancestors stored up treasures that produce no real benefits, but I have stored up treasures that produce benefits. As it is stated again, tell the righteous that it shall be well with them, for they shall reap the benefits of their deeds. Monbas continues, my ancestors stored up treasures of money, but I have stored up treasures of soul. As it is stated, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, And a wise person saves the souls of the poor. He continues, My ancestors stored up treasures that after their death would would benefit only others. But I have stored up treasures that will benefit myself both in my lifetime and after my death. As it is stated, it shall be accounted righteousness to you before the Lord your God. He ends, My ancestors stored up treasures for this world. But I have stored up treasures for myself in the world to come. As it is stated, 
Your righteousness will go before you. The glory of God shall be your rear guard. The meaning is clear in this wonderful, fanciful story. Tzedakah is for all time. What we do for tzedakah lasts. People cannot touch the treasure of tzedakah. Material wealth is for this world. Tzedakah is for the soul. Material wealth ends with the grave. Tzedakah is for eternity. Material wealth is for amassing. Tzedakah benefits my world. How secular we must ask ourselves is tzedakah. As the story evaluates it, the supposedly secular deed of writing a check, making a phone call, sitting in a meeting, working on a budget for a nonprofit organization, all these, in fact, must be considered holy. Now, I share that story with you because the story of Mombas is a theological statement on the meaning of tzedakah. It states that the Torah's basic evaluation of tzedakah in general terms, we are what we do. The answer of Mombos is as pertinent today as it was when it was recorded almost 2,000 years ago. And the questions it raises as relevant to us as they were relevant then. And I share that story with you because in Bronfman's wonderful book, Why Be Jewish?, he seems to think that you can separate in Judaism the religious and the secular. And this story seems to suggest that even that which is secular, the giving of money to those in need, the supporting of institutions in a financial manner, have a touchstone to the sacred. Because the Jewish Torah is complex, when we speak of the laws concerning gifts to the poor, we often turn to, at the outset to a principal voice in what these laws are. We seek a picture of the laws as a whole. We put together into a coherent framework the varieties of laws that are enunciated in the Torah. The earliest code of law is written by Moses Maimonides in the late 12th and 13th century. The importance of Maimonides' volume called Mishnah Torah is not that it gives an opinion of a great rabbi, but actually that it does not. It is a public, not personal. The contents of the book in general derive from the Tanakh, the Talmuds, and related to... Um, and related authoritative legal literature of Judaism. The reason we turn to the Mishnah Torah, therefore, is that it provides us with a reliable, accurate, and succinct picture of the Jewish law of tzedakah. He writes, It is appropriate to consider giving away money or goods in the very setting where the wealth is formed. Resources allow people the opportunity to gauge in tzedakah. Accordingly, Maimonides' choice for the larger setting in which to discuss tzedakah is sensible and reasonable. Maimonides does two things in this treatise on tzedakah in his book. 
He provides a picture of the whole, the laws seen from afar, the main point of it. He also presents many individual rules. So, I want to begin with this wonderful reading from Maimonides' Mishnah Torah. Listen carefully, because he challenges us to think about the theological importance of giving money. There are eight degrees of tzedakah, he writes, each one superior to the next. The highest degree, than which is none higher, is the one who upholds the hand of an Israelite reduced to poverty by handing that person a gift or a loan or by entering into a partnership with him or her or by finding the Israelite work in order to strengthen the person's hand so that she or he will have no need to beg from others. Concerning such a person, it is stated in Torah, you shall uphold that one as a stranger and a settler shall that person live with you meaning uphold the person so that she or he will not ever again enter into poverty. Below this one, below this is one who gives alms to the poor in such a way that the giver knows not to whom the alms are given, nor does the poor person know from whom the alms are received. This constitutes the fulfilling of a religious duty for its own sake. For such there was a chamber of secrets in the temple, where the righteous would contribute some secretly, and where the poor of good families would draw their sustenance in equal secrecy. Close to such a person is the one who contributes directly to the charity fund, the communal charity fund. One should not, however, Maimonides writes, give directly to the charity fund unless it has been ascertained that the person in charge of it is trustworthy, a sage who knows how to administer it properly. Below this is the person who knows that, who knows the one receiving while the poor person knows not from the gift it comes. Such a donor is like the great among the sages who would set forth secretly throwing money before the doors of the poor. This is an appropriate procedure to be preferred if those administering the charity funds are not behaving honorably. Below this is the instance in which the poor knows the identity of the donor, but remains unknown to the donor. The giver is thus like the great among the sagers who would place money in the folded corner of a linen sheet, throw the sheet over their shoulders and allow the poor to come up behind them and remove the money without being subject to humility. Below this one is the one who hands charity directly to the poor before being asked for it. Below this one is the one who hands charity to the poor after the poor requested it. Below this is the one who gives to the poor less than what is appropriate, but gives it in a friendly meeting manner. And below this is the one who gives charity with a scowl. The great among our sages used to hand a small corn to a poor person before praying, and then to pray as it is stating, As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. Tzedakah. 
Now, that was written in the early 13th century. There are three principles provided in this writing by Maimonides. The way to deal with poverty is to help the poor help themselves. Two, when one gives tzedakah to the poor, the way to do it is so that the left hand does not know what the right hand is doing, so to speak. The poor are respected. The donors remain anonymous. The final principle is a repetition of the main point of the second. The dignity of the poor must be respected. In all, Jewish law makes one fundamental point. Namely, the poor person must enjoy self-respect and dignity. The best way is not to give, but to lend, thus helping the poor person make his or her own livelihood. That stands outside the framework of charity, but is central to the realm of tzedakah. The second group of laws seeks to preserve the anonymity of the act of tzedakah, since this allows the poor person's dignity to be preserved. And the third then restates the same manner in a more personal way, not being asked, being asked, giving in a friendly way, not giving in an, giving in an unfriendly way. What the law requires, therefore, is consideration for the humanity of the poor person who remains no different from us who give. The poor person is not less than us or different from us. They have not only needs but also feelings. They want not only bread, but they want respect. When we give to the poor, according to Maimonides, we must do so in such a way that the equality of the giver and the receiver is acknowledged. This is not an act of grace or an expression of affection. It is an act of respect an expression of duty. The use of the word tzedakah in the sense of doing what is right and required is deliberate and definitive. We give not because we like it, according to Maimonides, but because it is our obligation. We do so in a way that will not make us feel superior, in a way that will not make the poor person feel inferior. For this reason, Jewish tradition begins with the notion that the very best way to do tzedakah is to find work for the poor, to relieve the poor of the necessity of begging. Failing that, the next best thing is to ensure that we do not discover who is receiving our charity in order that we do not develop a sense of self-importance. It is less suitable if the donor knows, but the recipient does not know the source of the funds. Still, according to this procedure, the recipient enjoys dignity. Now, we do this in Jewish tradition. Why? Because we believe that all people are created in the image of God. And if all people are created in the image of God, it is only circumstances that lead us to the reality of life that some people are better off than other people. I know sometimes that is um, tough to understand. So sometimes we are driving our cars and walking 
on the street and we see people giving, begging. And we say, so I wonder who they are. I wonder uh, what they do. And in fact, we should see them as human beings down on their luck. I want to take the remaining time to talk to you about things that make tzedakah a holy act. For as I began the show, Bronfman and the introduction to his book indicate that he's looking for a non-theological construct for Judaism. And giving often is seen as a non-theological act. But in fact, tzedakah is a religious act. So one would ask, if I give tzedakah and it's a religious act, how can I be secular? And I want to end this morning with the following story. Rabbi Chama, son of Rav Hanina, said, What does the scripture mean when it states you shall walk behind the Lord your God? Can a person truly walk behind the divine presence? Surely not, for it is not for is it also not stated that the Lord is a devouring fire? Rather the verse must mean that a person should imitate the righteous ways of the Holy One, blessed be he. Just as the Lord clothed the naked, as it is stated, and the Lord God made for Abraham, Adam and for his wife coats of skin and clothed them, so too you must supply clothes for the naked poor. Just as the Holy One, blessed, visited the sick, as it is stated, and the Lord appeared to Abraham was sick by the oaks of Mamre, so too you should visit the sick. Just as the Holy One buried the dead, as it is stated, and the Lord buried Moses in the valley, so too you must bury the dead. This text enfolds in a very simple and logical way. First, we ask, how can we really go after God? Such a thing is not possible. What is possible is to follow the virtues of God, doing the deeds that God does. And the text then specifies clothing the naked, visiting the sick, burying the dead, comforting the mourners. These are acts of loving kindness. There are also the things we do for one another to form a community of people who care. Each of the deeds listed in the story are humble and ordinary. In the framework of tzedakah, there are equivalently humble and everyday secular deeds. After all, what is religious or holy about buying a suit of clothes for someone in need or visiting someone in the hospital or providing for a proper burial for someone lacking in funds? These are really ordinary and simple human actions. We do them naturally, not impelled by some deep religious conviction, yet they form the sum and substance of holy in Judaism. They are, according to our tradition, what God does. This conception fetching in itself is stunning in its implications. When later on you are confronted with the simple claim that in working and giving tzedakah you are like God, you may not be puzzled or surprised. This is the precisely the teaching of Torah. It is not propaganda, nor it is a bon mot offered up on a special occasion. It is Judaism's deepest conviction, of, but it is to be like God.
We are created in the image of God. Creation tells us that man and woman speaks of them as made in the image of God. And since we do not know what God looks like, our Jewish tradition says we can only know what God does. And so when we perform acts of tzedakah, of giving money to those in need, we are not requiring, responding to the secular needs of society. We are fulfilling our holy obligations as enunciated in the texts of our people. For Jewish faith and Jewish fact, this is Rabbi Stephen Garten wishing you a good day and shalom. Yeah.